Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the New York Giants. This is the Giants Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary and Giants Wire editor, Dan Benton. Oh my God, Dan, the Giants, what a first half. That was the best half of the season, like save for that one third down sack that knocked him out of field goal range when Todd Bowles dialed up that blitz. I mean, the Giants are leading the NFC Super Bowl contenders 14-6. Brady's slamming his helmet like a baby on the sideline. They're in his head. The Giants are always in Brady's head. They get the ball to start the third quarter. You're sitting here, and I'm like, if they could just go down and score to start the third quarter, the Bucks are in a terrible spot, and they might be in big, big trouble. And then the Giants play an awful second half, awful second half. Jones throws the picks. He kind of melts down. The Giants let another one get away. What are you thinking, man? I, I could not believe how well they played in the first half and how poorly they played in that second half. Uh, what's what's your leadoff take on another miserable Giants loss? Well, I, I feel like a broken record. I'm sure I sound like a broken record at this point, but we boy, all do. they continue to find interesting ways to lose football this games. One they? This one was interesting, man. This one was interesting. Every every single week, they just they try and reinvent you know unique ways to to put an L on the board, and they manage to do it again. But at the same time, you know this is one of those situations where you can look at the glass on the table, and you can either say that thing is half full or that thing is half empty. And truthfully. There wasn't a single soul on this planet who thought they were going to be competitive in this game, no matter what, across the board, let alone bring it down to the final second. And I know there are no more moral victories in East Rutherford. People are tired of hearing about it. But again, the Giants competed, they fought, they were well coached, and they kept themselves in the game right until the bitter end. And again, they just let one slip through their fingers uh, at the very last second. We can argue all day about, you know, that penalty, not penalty uh, on the two-point conversion, but at the end of the day, you either win or you lose, and they lost yet again. Yeah, let's let's talk about that play at the end because that is a, a very <laughs> everyone's talking about it, so we should get into it too. First of all, I want to say that I understand Giants fans being upset about that call because it's a really close call, bang bang, and the flag goes out. And when you throw the flag, you should just you should just call the penalty, Dan. Just call the penalty. You threw the flag. It was a questionable play either way. You could make an argument on both sides of it, I think. But you threw the flag. There's terrible calls all the time. There's questionable calls all the time. No one's ever going to agree with every flag. I understand Giants fans for being pissed about them deciding on this like little conference on the field that, no, we're going to pick up the flag and the game's going to be over. Like That is brutal in the moment. Giants fans should be pissed, and I get it. I don't think, I, I think that's what's really wrong with that whole scenario, though, is, listen, if you throw the flag, it, it's sort of like when you go into a replay and it's you, know, you have to overturn the call on the field with enough proof, enough evidence, et cetera. Where was it to overturn that particular penalty? Because here's the bottom line. He, the guy, you know, Winfield ran into Lewis. He didn't turn his head around until the ball had already hit him in the back. And, you know, the argument is, well, the ball hit him in the back, so, you know, it wasn't going to get to the receiver anyway. Well, you know what? If you're running through the receiver, obviously the ball is going to hit you in the back. And now if they didn't throw the flag on that, I kind of would have just had to shrug my shoulders and say, well, you know, that's unfortunate, but that's the way it goes. But the fact that they did throw the flag, convene and then pick it up, despite, you know, the clear and concise evidence, at least in my eyes, uh, is what makes that so frustrating. And, and what's not being talked about on that particular play is uh, Evan Ingram released over the middle and was nearly tackled in the middle of the end zone and not a single peep about that, which would have been defensive holding and would have given the Giants another opportunity at that two-point conversion. So 
Whether or not you want to make the argument that that wasn't pass interference, it most certainly was defensive holding. So the referees went 0 for 2 on that one. No, that's an interesting point. And I was nodding my head along with you, Dan. Yeah, if, if they don't throw the flag at all, I think we all live with it a little bit better. But the fact that they throw the flag and then conference and then decide that they're going to pick it up, that's egregious. And I get it. Giants fans mm-hmm. should be pissed. But here's where, uh, you know, I don't think Giants coaches and players should be as irate as they were after the game because that wasn't a good throw. It wasn't a good throw. It wasn't no, on time. It wasn't. It wasn't on time. It wasn't out in front of Lewis. If it's a better throw, he's either going to get the flag or he's going to score the touchdown and walk in there, right? So that's a that's yeah. the other piece of it. Like, Joe Judge can be all fired up after the game and be mad at the refs and mad at the call, and, and Daniel Jones can be miffed at it as well, but it was a bad throw, and you got to call it a spade a spade, right? And, and the fact is... Jones made some terrible throws in that second half, and for every Danny Dime there is, and man, he can throw some beautiful balls. That touchdown throw to Tate was unbelievable. He found a way on a couple of crazy fourth down plays, right, to keep the Giants alive late. I love it, but these interceptions are so bad. Every time he's, like, getting touched as he throws the football, he just he throws it behind and right to a defensive back. It's, like, so infuriating, yeah. and he keeps doing it, and you're waiting for and he keeps saying in the postgame, Dan, I need to learn, I need to learn, I need to learn. Dude, yeah. you're not learning. He's not, he's, he's not learning from his mistakes. He's not getting better. He continues to do it over and over again. Like, at what point are we going to throw our hands up and be like, he's not the guy? He's just not. He's not going to get it because he, he just keeps well, doing it over. It's what was the word in the post game? Redundant. That's what it is. Well, I, I don't think we're at that point yet. And I and I will say this: that first interception was terrible. I haven't seen the all twenty two yet, so I don't know what Shepard was doing at the top of that route. If he was supposed to be coming back, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You got to throw that ball out of bounds. That's just all there is. No, to no, it doesn't matter. Uh, the second one, you know, again, it wasn't the best decision in the whole world, but that was a hell of a play by the defender to get down there, dive, catch that ball. I mean, you do that nine times out of ten. I mean, you make that throw 10 out of 10, that's, you know, they're only going to get that that one time. So that that, that ball is going to fall incomplete nine other times. Sometimes you just got to tip your cap. Again, it wasn't the best decision in the whole world. Uh, I, I think, like you mentioned, the uh, throw on the two-point conversion attempt is probably, you know, the most frustrating of all the throws yesterday because that ball is supposed to go out to the pylon. Mm-hmm. You're throwing it, you know, you're throwing it too far back to the point where your receiver, in this case, you know, the running back, Lewis, has to kind of stop his route and lean back into the defender, which might have been the argument that the referees were making. But again, you don't throw the flag if that's the case. But you're right, you know, that wasn't a particularly good throw. I think what frustrates most people, most fans, onlookers, pundits, whatever you want call them is the fact that you do see those beautiful throws by Jones and that one to Tate is a prime example. I know that the you know initial instinct of everyone after Jones had thrown those two picks was to say well Tate bailed him out. That's not what happened there. That was an MVP like throw. Probably one of the best Jones has ever made and Honestly, the, the first one to Lewis, it looked sloppy because there was a lot of traffic in that in that small space, but he put it where only his receiver could go out and get the ball. And again, that was a, a tremendous throw, and there were a few of those. There was one to Ingram at another point in the game that was just an absolutely beautiful throw, and thank you know the good Lord that Ingram actually made that catch and didn't let it bounce off his palms again for that the was, second week That was row. better. It was better this time. It was, and, and, that, and then I think that is the frustration when it comes to Jones because you see these moments where you're like, wow, there aren't a lot of quarterbacks in the end. NFL that can make that throw. And then you see those other ones where you're like, that's not a good throw. That's not a good decision. How is it that you keep doing this? And I said it this morning. I think what it all boils down to is this. Daniel Jones is a second-year quarterback who didn't even have 16 games under his belt coming into the season. We are a society that is built upon the need, the desire for instant gratification. And that's just not a reality in life. It's not a reality in football. You know, occasionally you'll see it with some players, but just look at Lamar Jackson, the Baltimore Ravens. His 
first season looked like an absolute disaster and people were writing him off as a bust. Over his first, whatever, 16, 20 games, he was struggling with turning over the ball, struggling with making decisions. He was trying to carry a bad team, a thin team on his back. And I, I think that's exactly what Jones is doing here. For the last several weeks, he's been heavily, heavily criticized for holding on to the ball for too long and for not doing enough to carry the team. So now you see him making mistakes, trying to carry the team and trying to do you know too much, which is exactly what Bruce Arian said after the game. And I think some of those interceptions are the perfect example. He's been criticized for holding on to the ball too long. So what does he do? He lets the ball go too soon and he's immediately criticized for letting the ball go too soon. He needs to let this stuff just leave his mind. It's got to float out of his head. He's got to stop thinking about it. He's got to stop trying to do too much. He's got to trust his teammates. And yes, they are thin. Yes, there have been issues like last week with Evan Ingram where he trusted his teammate, put the ball on him, and he dropped it. And that stuff really does start to eat away at you. And we saw that with Eli Manning at the end of his career where he started getting happy feet in the pocket because he was constantly getting beaten. He no longer trusts his teammates and he was making an endless slew of mistakes as a result. And that's exactly what we're seeing with Daniel Jones right now. The good news is that it's not an athletic problem. It's not a mechanical problem, even though I did see some of those yesterday. And it's, you know, it's not a talent problem. Right now, it's just a mental problem. And those things can be worked out. Let's pick this conversation up on the other side. We'll be right back. Fantasy football is about proving that you are better than your friends. Sit them, start them. These are the fantasy picks of the week. It will kill me if this game ends in a tie. I need this win. This game's pretty much done. With Corey Bonini from TheHuddle.com. Welcome to week number nine. I'm Corey Benini of TheHuddle.com, here to talk to you about strong plays for your fantasy football lineups. All four of these guys are a little bit on the risky side, but that's where we're at this time of the year. Quarterback Derek Carr, the Las Vegas Raiders at the Los Angeles Chargers. Carr is quietly on pace for his best fantasy football season to date, even after a lousy week eight game. The Raiders are getting healthier, and the quarterback position has averaged 25.8 fantasy points per game this year against the Bulls. Five quarterbacks have gone for at least 20 points, and three have gone for 24 or more in the last four contests alone. Jets running back Michael Pirine should see a pretty healthy workload against the New England Patriots. It probably won't be pretty in terms of yardage, but there's a hint of upside here as a flex play with a player who faces a defense that has given up seven rushing touchdowns on the year. And what's maybe even more alarming is five of them were over just the past two contests. There's hope here for a situational football break to go Pirine's way. Another rookie, Jerry Judy, the wide receiver for the Denver Broncos at the Atlanta Falcons. He saw 10 targets last week and he has averaged nearly seven looks per game when Drew Locke has started all four contests. While the touchdowns haven't been there, this could change in week nine. Atlanta has given up five touchdowns in five games and eight on the entire season. The matchup is a little better suited for PPR volume, though, which is another reason why you should get him in your lineup. Finally, tight end Greg Olson of the Seattle Seahawks at the Buffalo Bills. The Bills have given up six touchdowns to the position in eight games, helping create four performances of at least 17.8 PPR points. Keep in mind this could be a risky situation especially seeing as there's so many weapons for Seattle to spread the ball around. We saw last week Olsen can get lost in the shuffle in a hurry. He is an intriguing risk-reward decision with several prize fantasy tight ends either hurt or underperforming. For more fantasy football information, news, and advice, check out thehuddle.com. Mark Schwartz, New York Post. Hey, Joe, you mentioned about Daniel and, and the interceptions. Um, you know, he seems to have this problem with not getting the ball out of bounds. I mean, a lot of his interceptions are not coming in the middle of the field. Um, you know, it, it, how can you get it into his head to get the ball out of bounds? And also, 
Does he need to make a better throw, even if there might have been a penalty on the two-point conversion? Seems like if he puts it more to the outside, Dion has a uh, completion that might be fairly easy. Yeah, I think Dion had a chance to catch the ball right there. There was just contact before the ball had a chance to get there for him to actually finish and complete the catch. So it's tough to make that assessment on a throw right there. Um, as far as getting the ball out of bounds, Paul, I mean, none of the things that happened tonight were a result of trying to throw the ball out of bounds and the ball just not reaching it. In fact, he had a nice throw away in that you know last drive right there to stop the clock and avoid a sack. Um, so I don't see any issues specifically with that, Paul. That's uh, Giants coach Joe Judge, obviously. And I want to play that for you, Dan, because I just feel like, Joe, you know what? You know where the question's going. You know what the reporter's trying to get out of that question, right? He's trying to get you to just be critical of the quarterback, and Joe Judge isn't going there. He's not. He's kind of coming to his quarterback's defense in there, right? He's he's like, yeah, you know what? Hey, he wasn't trying to throw it out of bounds. He was trying to throw it to the Buccaneers in those plays. <laughs> That's what it looked like, at least, when he was throwing you know, those egregious interceptions. Like, every time the kid is touched in the pocket as he's throwing the football, Dan, he's throwing it to the other team. I liken it to uh, my golf game you know every now and then i'll hit this like unbelievable shot that goes right down the middle of the fairway and i'll be like oh my god i love this sport and then i'll i'll hit like i'll chunk like the next four or five and lose three balls in the woods <laughs> i feel like this is my experience watching daniel jones he throws these dimes like we talked about and then he has these plays where my head and it, it literally it was last night watching the game my head is buried in my hands because i would have loved to see the giants win that football game and they probably <laughs> would have had a chance if jones just doesn't make these egregious errors to give the football back to the tampa bay buccaneers but you you were talking about before the break there that you're not ready to give up on the kid and uh so you you've got a long leash you got a long leash dan because he's got seven touchdowns and nine interceptions this year he's got his mm -hmm. qb rating is terrible he's not playing good football he kind of has this like deer in the headlights kind of look on his face all the time I, I just like man i don't i don't look at him and believe but you're still you got belief in this kid still I, it feels like giants well, fans are starting to turn on him though a little bit they are. They are. There's no doubt about it. They are. But I've I've been watching the same thing for years now. And I, I've saw I've seen it with Eli under center. I saw it in the brief moment that Geno Smith took, you know, his snaps under center. Uh, I, I see it with Daniel Jones. There are consistent problems on the offensive side of the ball right now. And uh, they continue to be very similar problems, uh, primarily when it comes to pass protection and what gets into a quarterback's head when, you know, you're constantly being hit. And that's just the nature of, of the Giants right now. It's, it's, and, it, you know, when it comes to you know, being critical of Jones or trying to evaluate or analyze Jones, there needs to be some balance in what it is that, you know, we're seeing. And there's a lot of motion that leads to some of these critical takes, especially among Giants fans and Giants writers who are just fed up with constant covering of, of you know, losing, you know, and it does, it gets exhausting. But I'm admittedly as, as optimistic as I've been probably since 2011 when it comes to this team. And I'm certainly not ready to sell, send Jones up the river yet because I would challenge anyone to pinpoint a quarterback, whether active now or coming in through the college level, that would be able to compete at a higher level than Jones is right now with the paper thin offense that he has, uh, you know, a unit that is near the league lead and drops near the league bottom in terms of pass protection whether it be from the offensive line, running backs in particular, the Giants running backs are dead last in the NFL in pass protection. You know, like I said, their wide receivers are struggling with separation, averaging less than two yards per uh, per route run going into to last night. And then you look at Jones and, 
you know, there's this criticism of Jones and you look at his adjusted completion percentage, which is, uh, you know, balls on target. And it's upwards of almost 80 percent, which tells you that a large amount of the problems that are, are, you know, being suffered on the offensive side of the ball are not exactly relative to his poor decisions. Now, that doesn't you know, that's that's not, you know, covering up for Jones or, or, or saying that he's not responsible for some of the issues because he most certainly is. And I think those two interceptions yesterday are prime example. Again, the one is a great play. You tip your cap. But the other one, I, I agree with Judge. I don't think he was trying to throw the ball out of bounds, but he should have been. And I and I think that's the larger part of the problem right, right there is right. that, again, he's trying to do way too much right now, mm-hmm. and it's hurting the team as a result. I love you, Dan. You're, you're, it's kind of a contrarian take. You're, you're on Team Daniel Jones, right? <laughs> like, you know, n- none of this phases you. The, the, the poor stats, the one and seven record, hanging out with DJ Lughead, like none of it, none of it phases Dan. So I, I love that. But that's where we're at. Like the Giants have the worst record in the conference. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you look at the uh, draft order for 2021, you're right behind the New York Jets, right? It's the New York battle yeah. for that number one seed right now. You're in position to get one of the top quarterbacks if you so choose. You're in position, I think, especially if you lose to the uh, the Washington football team this week. You're in position. Well, to, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, if we, if we listen, if we lose that game and Jones tosses a couple interceptions, we'll we'll revisit this conversation. Dan, what but would I, make I, you I, think that's not going to happen at this point? I, I, you know, we'll see. We'll see what's going to happen. Oh, we'll my see God. How it goes. But listen, I, I grew up as a Giants fan during the Dave Brown, Danny Cannell era of football. So I know what it's like to watch bad quarterbacks play. <laughs> I've seen it. I've lived it. And I don't think Daniel Jones is anywhere near that level. Now, listen, do I believe that he's going to be an MVP level quarterback? I certainly think he has the ability to be in the upper echelon of quarterbacks. Do I, you know, time will tell. You know, he desperately needs to become more consistent. The thing that keeps me in Daniel Jones's corner is that the majority of his problems, like I said earlier, they're not physical. They're not athletic. They're there are mental issues that could be coached out of him. And the good thing about where Daniel Jones is right now is he has an excellent coach. And I think if there's any one thing that Giants fans should take away from this season, it's the fact that they hit a home run on Joe Judge because that guy is the real deal. He had a good game. I think uh, Jason Garrett had a good game too. Good day for the coaching. Good day for the defense. Bad day for the quarterback. Sorry, Dan. But, it is. But again, I think that coaching yep. is good enough that it will work those kinks out of Daniel Jones's armor. I hear you. You know what? I love the take. I love it. I wasn't expecting this this morning. I love it, Dan. It's great. But the thought I was going to finish is if you lose to the football team, you're in a yeah. position to be one and eight. You could pull the plug. You could get Colt McCoy out there, run around a little bit if you want, if you want to send a message to Jones and bench him. And you could fire G. You'd be in position to fire the GM and really start to look at the next guy at quarterback. I mean, that's that's kind of where we're at. But let's 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 pick that up here coming up next. And we'll talk about this matchup with the football team and, and where we're at here with the Giants. We'll do that coming up next. <laughs> It's that time again for the line of the week. The inside track to the favorites, the underdogs, and the over-unders. I think I want my money back. Now, here are Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren from USA Today's Sportsbook Wire. Hello, I'm Eston McLaren of Sportsbook Wire and Bet Slippin' Podcast. I'm joined by Jeff Clark to break down all you need to know to bet on the Week 9 Sunday night football matchup between the New Orleans Saints and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Bucs, they're 6-2 coming in. Five and a half point favorites, minus 110 odds. The Saints, 5-2, plus 5.5 underdogs, minus 110 odds again. Big NFC South battle. Bucks come in in first place. Jeff, 
can they hold on against New Orleans Saints? Everyone's down on Drew Brees right now, and it feels a little ageist to me. Old man Drew is seventh in the league in QBR, and he hasn't had his two best weapons on the field for most of the year. Speaking of which, he should be getting back wide receiver uh, Michael Thomas, who is the reigning offensive player of the year. And the Saints' defense is improving. They've even invested here at the trade deadline by acquiring former San Francisco 49ers linebacker Quan Alexander. Give me the Saints plus the points. I'm taking the Bucks. I like them talking about Michael Thomas coming back. Antonio Brown's debut for the Buccaneers. That Bucks defense looking great as well. Second in the NFL with 28 sacks. Subscribe to Bet Seven Podcasts on your favorite app. Please be sure to rate and review. So who will be the Giants quarterback in 2021? Will it still be Daniel Jones or will, will we be in a position where the Giants have given up on the kid they picked number six overall just a couple years ago? It's it, This is an interesting storyline that's going to chase this kid throughout the rest of the season. And we, we talked about, Dan, like if the Giants can just win a couple games in this dreadful NFC East playoff picture, like they could actually get into that thing. They could actually be in the running to win the division. But now one and seven, it's just like the deck's just so stacked against them now. And it's hard to see them getting in the race. But, you know, what do you think about this game in Washington, a team they barely beat a couple weeks ago? Now they play him again. We talked about the first game against Washington, like maybe heads would roll and, and crap would hit the fan and all that. Like it, it could really, really hit the fan. It could all come off the rails here if they lose this ball game and drop to one and eight and lose to the football team. So, like, what are your thoughts about the Giants, like continually being in these close games, continually falling flat, finding a way to lose them, as you've said, and now going into another, like, do or die kind of situation here with the football team. Like, what do you think about this? Well, I think Washington may very well be exactly what the doctor ordered for the Giants at this point. When you look at uh, the entirety of Daniel Jones's career, he's won four games. Three of those have come against Washington. He's completing nearly 70% of his passes against Washington. He's thrown for nearly 700 yards. He's thrown seven touchdowns against him, which is more than any other team in the league. So if there's a team on the schedule that can right this ship or at least temporarily put it back above water, it's certainly Washington. Whether that ends up being another close game or not, I don't think it matters. I just think they need to win. Quite honestly, I think the close games are really becoming sort of the character of the team, and that's not necessarily a good thing when you're losing every game by a couple points, but it does show that they're competitive, and again, I think that is a testament, again, to Joe Judge, who really does appear to be a great coach. But again, going back to Daniel Jones, he needs to have the kind of game he's had against Washington over the last three. If he goes out there and he has another game like he did against Tampa Bay where he's throwing costly picks, missing Darius Slayton, throwing Shepard down the field, which, you know, again, you can argue that he hasn't had those opportunities to throw the ball down the field so much this season, so he's a little rusty. Doesn't matter. There are no excuses. No one's going to forgive him. You can't defend him if he goes out there and blows the game against Washington. So as much as this could be a game that could turn the Giants back around with Philadelphia then coming the week after, it could also be the nail in the coffin for Gettleman, for the Giants, for Jones, and for this season. If Danny Jones Jones wants Dan Benton in his corner. He's got to go beat the Washington football team. I like it. That's the storyline. That's, that's what we're going to focus on for the podcast. Giants are three and a half point underdogs going to Washington. You like that number, Dan. Got It's a get right oh, game. Yeah. They got to get it. I do. 
I, I think they win. I do think they win. And I think maybe they're going to come out a little angry this time and maybe win going away for a change. I realize that's a, a bold statement considering how close they play every single game this year. But let's be realistic. Washington is not a good football team. Uh, and, and the Giants are not necessarily a good football team, but they're an improving football team, even at one and seven. And at some point or another, they got to start taking, stop taking the little steps and make more of a leap. And they're not going to get a better opportunity to do that than this week against Washington. All right. I love it. I know exactly what the headline for the podcast is going to be this week. Dan Benton says, don't give up yet on Daniel Jones. Not time to pull the plug. So that's going to be something like that's going to be the headline of this podcast. All right, Dan? That's it. That's it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Hey, have a great week. We'll see what happens against Washington. All right. We'll talk to you next week. This USA Today sports podcast has been presented by USA Today's sports media group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini and the Huddle podcast inside the weekly line with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren and the Bet Slippin' podcast. We'll see you again next week.